When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. Success in real estate has nothing to do with shiny objects. It has everything to do with mastering the basics. The three pillars of real estate investing. Attract, convert, exit. Matt Terrio has been helping real estate investors do just that for more than a decade now. If you want to make money in real estate, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit reiace.com. Here's Matt. Hey there, Epic Investor. It's Matt Terrio from Epic Real Estate, where we show people how to invest in real estate with an emphasis on retiring early. This is the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. And if this is your first time here, really glad that you found us. If you like what you hear, make sure you hit the subscribe button before you go. If this is not your first time here, welcome back. And and just thank you for sharing this with your friends and family. I really appreciate that about you. Uh, I'm on the road right now, and so I couldn't put a, a formal, full-fledged episode together for you. We're going to skip the news this week. But I did have a great conversation this last week with a, a good new friend of mine that excels in online auctions. And uh, he's been doing it for several years. Uh, he's been investing in real estate for a really long time. He's a wealth of knowledge. And so I can't wait for you to meet him. So enjoy the show and I'll see you next week. All right. So please help me welcome to the show, Mr. Paul Lizell. Paul, welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, glad to have you. Glad we were able to carve out this time. You know, we just met uh, a few months ago mm-hmm. and you were like one of the only people in the room that was a real estate investor and also had this um, knowledge or this attraction or involvement in crypto. And that's something that I, I've been uh, very interested in. And so I think we just kind of resonated that way. So um, I want to talk about a little bit of both and how maybe you're yeah. working them together and what your business looks like and just get to know each other a little bit better. So share with me, um, what were you doing just before you got started involved in real estate investing? So before I got started in real estate investing, I was actually a commercial business loan underwriter. And for I did that for about a year. And then for two years, actually make that three years after that, I was a business development officer. So it was good. Being the underwriter was great because you get to see the businesses from the inside out, which ones do extremely well, you know, which are the most profitable ones. Self-storage facilities, by the way, is what I found mm-hmm. out to be the best thing. Most profitable mm-hmm. guys were self-storage facility owners. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went from that into the uh, real estate world by at part-time doing a fix and flip. Like I did a, a fix and flip in 2001. It was partner with a guy. We paid 29.5, put about 4,000 into the property. We put a little work ourselves in it, sold it for 69 a few months later, and then started doing more and more and more. I'm probably doing one or two a quarter as I'm working full time. And my objective was, all right, let me get 18 months worth of um, living expenses put aside and I'll do this full time, which happened in 2004, which right. was, you know, it was still booming in 2004. Right, right. Did a lot of fix and flips occasional wholesale deal in 2004. Then um, 2008, the financial crisis hit. I lost, I probably lost them like six or eight fix and flips I was doing at that point, anywhere from like 15,000 to 65,000 on each deal. 
And then I said, you know, I got to pivot. I got to switch something. All my friends, all the other guys I knew locally here were just going away. They weren't investing in real estate anymore. They got out of it. And I said, I'm going to pivot. The, the, my easiest deals were wholesaling. The hardest ones were the fix and flips. Let me go 90% wholesaling and 10% fix and flip, do some owner finance and things like that. And that's what we did. We pivoted in 2009, 2009, 10, 11, 12. We had monster years doing mm-hmm. wholesaling. And, and, and this was all bank-owned properties too. This was all from whether it was HUD Home Store, Hudson and Marshall Zone. Actually, it wasn't even Zone at that time. I think it was Home Search that came out about 2013. HubZoo was just, I think they were kind of newer then and auction.com, of course. Mm-hmm. So we started buying those and we, we had some huge wholesale fees, 55,000, 50,000, 45,000 from 2009 to, to uh, 2013, some of these big fees. And then they started shrinking as time was going on, the market started to heat up a bit. And then I started pivoting, doing some different things, doing more owner finance um, along with the wholesale. We still do probably about one in every 10 deals is an owner finance deal. We do love those owner finance deals. Yeah, those are my favorite. Yeah, they, they're, they're the most profitable, I think. I'm almost at the point these days where if you're not going to order a finance, I don't want the deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's I understand like, that. <laughs> right? I, I, I throw a lot of leads away shamefully. I'm just at a point where I don't want to go on over to have that conversation right now. I want the, I want the seller finance deal because I just see what those have done for me long-term. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm grateful that I'm in that position. I don't need to flip the property to get the cash, to keep the payroll or keep the marketing budget going and everything. Um, it's all about wealth creation for me. And there's nothing better than being able to negotiate some creative terms with a seller. That is for sure. They're usually your, your least amount of money into the property and end up being some of your biggest payers out, you know, yep. profitability wise. Absolutely. Um, do you know Eddie Speed? You know, you were just oh, talking yeah, about- Oh yeah, I know Eddie well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he turned me on. He says, Matt, I really like what you're doing and <laughs> you're doing a great job at it, but you're missing something. You're leaving a lot of money on the table. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he went and told me, um, he's talking about the deal after the deal. And so that is just like transformed my entire world. So the, the seller finance with the deal after the deal, I mean, there's enough profit in there. That's like five deals of profit in, in one, one of those deals. If you, you uh, set it up correctly. If, totally. And you, I think you and I both know Mitch Steven, who was in collectors oh, yeah. there for a while too. And he's, mm-hmm. he's doing them like wildfire down in San Antonio. Yeah, no, Mitch, uh, we were, well, we were in CG. We were in Collective Genius together. Yep. All, all three of us. Were we all there at the same time? I think. I think Probably. so for a short yeah. time. Yeah. Totally. No, Mitch is another really smart guy when it comes to the creativity. Perfect. So, what is a uh, maybe you just said it and I got so we got sidetracked, but what does business look like for you today? So, the business is still pretty similar as far as we do mostly wholesaling, but that number's moved down about 65% wholesaling. Then the rest is filled up with um, fix and flip, rentals, and owner finance. And you know, I mix the rentals. Rentals are a necessary evil, I think, unfortunately, in our business and the fact that we have to have them to reduce tax liability as much as anything so which, and create longer term wealth. Wholesaling yeah. is, is that what you said? Uh, not wholesaling. Yeah, to offset the wholesaling, right? So rentals, we oh, need rentals. them. Yes, They're yes, necessary yes. evil for yeah, depreciation, interest, expense, you write off the taxes, all the different things. So you call rentals evil? That. Yes. <laughs> no, explain to me what's evil about them to you because I love them. <laughs> I, I do. Well, they're great. They're, they're, they're more ma- management, I'd say, right? Okay. We have more maintenance and everything. And we do most of the maintenance ourselves, like myself and my uh, wife and my ver- VA do. Mm-hmm. We're pretty much the three that are responsible for managing them all. And we do manage them all. They're not too bad or occasional things here or there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the one thing I do love about them is they spit out money every single month, which yep. is great. 
and you got cash flow from them. But the best thing is the depreciation, the write-offs you get, which reduce yeah. your tax liability. That's my yeah. favorite part of rental selling. You don't get that with owner financing. That's the one negative with owner financing. Right. Well, no, you get the payments, but you don't get the write-offs as much. Why not? Unless, unless it depends how you set it up. So if you set it up where you're still the owner uh-huh. and you're selling it on terms, like if I sell them and I'm selling, I'm transferring the mortgage. And, um, oh, you sell via seller finance. Correct. Yeah. You're se- okay, sell. Okay. Got a lot it. With owner yes, I do occasionally buy some with owner financing, but it's more selling them with owner financing. Ah, okay. No, I see. I'm, I'm a big acquisition guy on, on seller financing. That's how I do it. Um, but I do have a, a really nice balance but to your point on, on the tax issue of rentals and seller finance notes that I'm carrying because yeah. uh, you're right. You need to offset that because that's what it's ordinary income when yes. you're using it from the notes, right? Right. So, plus exactly. what, the other part about that, and it, it is nice because the cash flow is big mm-hmm. and there's a lot less headaches, a lot less phone calls, but um your wealth is getting smaller and smaller as they pay off yes. that debt every month, right? So you need True. something else that's going to build your wealth. So it's a good balance. All right, I'm you with do. you. I'm you on the same page. Your portfolio. You need now more I agree. Your portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, I've been getting tax write-offs on all of my seller financing. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You want my CPA's number? That's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> but, right, but you're talking about exit strategy. Perfect. Yeah, totally all different right. one. Yeah, on the same page. Super. So, um, your acquisitions. How are you finding most of your deals? I think this is kind of the part that's really unique about what you do. Yeah, and we're different than pretty much anybody else out there. Mm-hmm. Are pretty much, I would say, about eighty-five to ninety percent of our acquisitions are through online auctions, whether it be auction.com, Zome, HubZoo, Hudson and Marshall, Realty Bid, or HUD Home Store. And the, the rest of them are off the MLS. We do a lot of MLS deals in certain markets, whether it's Tucson, Arizona, here in Pennsylvania, even a little bit New Jersey, occasionally down in Florida and in San Antonio, Texas, where we have boots on the ground there. And then the rest we get, we get some from wholesalers and referrals. I do get people that just refer, like I'm fixing and flipping a house right next door to me here. Mm-hmm. And that was just a referral. Nice. Referrals are the best. They are the best. Yeah. The warm leads go in so much simpler and easier. Yep. Yep. I've got a, a guy that I'm going to have on the podcast here and probably right after the, after the new year. And this whole business is just teaching businesses how to generate referrals. And I was like, you know, almost all of our, the business that Mercedes and I do is all based on our relationships. Yeah. Um, almost all of it. Um, I've been doing a lot of marketing since we've moved back or we've moved here to, to Las Vegas. Um, so I've picked that up again, but still when we need a deal. We can just pick up a phone call or pick up the phone and, and make a call and, and, and find one pretty quickly. And that's and super so important. It so is, you know, and, and my whole thing is if, you know, if you want to go fast, you got to learn to market. If you want to go far, you got to build the relationships. Oh, yes. Uh, Yep. Right. Agreed 100%. When they know you're a consistent buyer and they know you're going to close on stuff, you're going to get preferential treatment one and you might even get a little bit better deals here and there. Yes. Always scratch. Yep. And, and the, the barter thing is just fantastic as well. What the, what the <laughs> doing, right. Totally. Um, so tell me about the online acquisition, the online auctions. Uh, do they, I, mean, I imagine they all have their own little nuance, but generally, how does the process work? They do. And and like, so our process is pretty simple. It used to be me looking at every different auction that was coming up, whether it was say a Northeast auction, a Southwest, Southeast, uh, South uh, auction. And I, I would break down everything and look at everything and decide what to bid on. Now, what I end up doing is I, I created a few videos, sent them to my VA. So my VA knows how to come up with the ARV on these properties. Okay. Um, contacts, 
she'll sometimes email the agent if it looks like it's an intriguing one. If not, I email the agent and contact them if it hit, fits our buying criteria. In other words, so they are V uh, minus that, you know, 70%, say 75% minus the repairs and our wholesale fee. If the starting bid is below that, we're good to go. If the starting bid is above that, it's it's a no-go. So if there's 150 properties in this particular auction, maybe 20 or 25 might meet that criteria. Mm-hmm. So now I'm not looking at 150. I'm looking at you know 20 to 25. It's just made it simpler and easier for me. Got it. All right. So you got your formula, a pretty standard formula. Right. You give that to the VA. She um, basically scrubs the whole list of what's there. Right. Identifies what there is that you actually want to make a bid on. Right. Yep. So exactly. you determine that. So now do you make the bid or does the VA make the bid? Right now I'm doing the bidding, but I'm going to transfer it into 2021. I want to get kind of a little bit away from that so I can focus mm-hmm. on other things, other parts of the business. So I'm probably going to have the VA start bidding. Now that she's getting comfortable with it and understanding a little bit more, it'd be a little bit simpler to have her go in and do it. Perfect. So if there's, can, I don't know if you have general numbers on this, but to say if there's a hundred houses going up for auction, mm-hmm. how many of those that will actually pass the uh, the formula test? Generally right now, probably about 15 out of a hundred. Yeah. All right. So you'll place, you'll bid on 15 of those about right. how many do you win out of those 15? Sometimes I'll win one, sometimes none. Sometimes I'll win four or five. It really okay. depends on the day where, where they're located. Like we do, we do a little bit what Larry Goen says, if you're familiar with him, finding some of these smaller towns, he's mm-hmm. these tertiary markets where there's less competition. Tertiary. So you're yeah. the only other guy I know that uses that word. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I was feeling a little bit uh, snooty by using that word and throwing that out there in front of people, but good. I think it's a great word. And it? it is. It's great. It's like no one knows what comes after secondary, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the fourth is? If what is the fourth market? I wouldn't even know what the heck that yeah, is. Tertiary. Tertiary. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> All right, cool. So, so we buy a lot of these things. markets like that in Texas too, right? These outside mm-hmm. markets, outside of Waco, out, these smaller little towns where we have much less competition and we get some outstanding deals. So that's great. That's great. Okay. So the bidding process, is it just like you just like, is it just clicking a mouse there online and you're, and you're sitting there watching other people bid against you or how does that work? It is. Yeah. So you can preset on a lot of these, what you want to bid up to. I don't generally ever do that. I want to bid it. And then I want to see what's going against me because usually what happens more often than not is the bank bids against you. The seller is bidding against you, right? They're, right. they're putting, the auction company is putting a bid in on behalf of the seller trying to push it up. It and on I eBay. can tell, this is where I'm a little leery to give it totally to the mm-hmm. VA yet to, to do the bidding because I know when I put my bid in, if, if there's a certain time period it goes by, I know it's them and it's not somebody else I'm bidding against. Mm-hmm. Right? I get, you get a feel for it when you bid enough of these different things. So I know when I'm bidding against a person compared to when I'm bidding against them. Got it. Got yeah. it. So that's something that she'll have to learn some of the nuances there. And I'll try to explain to her, but it's, it, takes, it takes a little while to learn that. Got it. And you don't want to bid against yourself. You're basically bidding against yourself when you're doing that. Right. And they're right. just pushing your number up. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of learned that. Uh, through a bunch of eBay stuff that I had done. Yes. Where you set that that maximum bid and you're like, oh, I'm already at the maximum bid. That was just like two <laughs> seconds ago when I right. said it, you know? Right? <laughs> exactly so like, why you don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Okay, so same concept there. So let's say you win one. Mm-hmm. All right, so, all right, you won this bid for $100,000. Uh, what happens next? You have to send and them 100000 For me, that's next level due diligence and they, want to, they, they have you fill out the um, high bidder form. Mm-hmm. You do that, send that in, and they either accept it 
or they decline it, or they counter you within a period of time. But as soon as I win that high bidder, I'm doing the next level of due diligence where I'm either, if I haven't contacted agent, I'm contacting listing agent at this point. If there is no listing agent on there, I'm sending somebody out there to go take a look at the property and uh-huh. trying to get access to it so they can give me some pictures, use a company like BPO Photo Flow to get some pictures and some details on the property. Then that's that next level due diligence. Make sure there's no cracks in foundation. Make sure there's not three feet of water in the basement, which we've had a couple of times uh-huh. and you know different things like that. So if everything looks good and they come back and they say, all right, we're accepting your deal, then we move forward with it. If they come back and say, yeah, we're accepting your deal. I'm like, hey, wait, I found a bunch of stuff. I can't go to this number anymore. Mm-hmm. So I can't move forward. And you go, well, there is a number where is there a number where you can move forward? And I'll give them my next number where I need to be to make okay. it make sense with those repairs. Oh, so very much it's usually the way it goes. Yeah, it's kind of similar to like the direct mail when you find that stuff, you find, oh, that needs this, that, and then you're dropping yeah. the price, right? Yep. Yep. Same no, deal. It sounds very similar. Okay. So so just because you won, like, there's a couple things I just recognized or I heard, and I just want to clarify. So even though you won highest bidder, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the price you're going to buy it at. Correct. Okay. Yep. So they can still come back and say more. They can. So All say right. I win it at 100K and, and say the property was listed 169.9 on the MLS, uh-huh. they might counter me at 135, especially if it's a new, new property where it hasn't gone through two, three, four, five auction cycles, they'll counter me high. Okay. So these properties aren't exclusive to the auction then. They can be listed on the multiple listing service. They do. They put them on the MLS. However, they can't. The only way they can be bid on is through that auction company. Got it. So, so they who's do the actual owner? Are these bank owned? Bank owned. Yep. They're bank owned. Okay. Got it. So if the, the real estate agent that got the REO doesn't move fast enough, then it probably comes to the auction process. Exactly. Yep. How it for a little while, they put it there. Try okay. to move it quicker. All right. So you're dealing with banks. That's fun. Yes. So you have to come in with cash at that moment if once, if everything is approved? Yes. Yep. Then you want to close, you know, within 30 days, generally sometimes 45, but usually within 30 days or so we're closing on. All right. So you're saying uh, 65% of your business is wholesaling. Mm -hmm. Are there any deed restrictions that the bank is putting on you? If we do Fannie Mae's, yes. Fannie Mae will put that 90 day deed restriction at anti-flipping Right. thing on there, which is a real bugger. And there's ways around it, um, which I'm sure you may have dealt with in, in years past, but you know, you can do things off the HUD, you can do things, consulting fees separately, but if they see it on there, they're going to be, you know, a little leery of it mm-hmm. on a, on a double close. Well, Fannie Mae, that's probably a lot of them, right? Yeah. There's a good bit of Fannie Mae's. Yeah. Although I think they, right now, Fannie Mae seems to be doing more repairs to these properties mm-hmm. and putting them out there retail. And they're getting a lot of retail buyers because I have not seen as many Fannies and Freddies as I have in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing more of uh, Wells Fargo, Chase City, uh, what is the other, Aquin um, and Nation Star. Mm-hmm. See more of those out there. Yeah, they got, uh, they kind of learned their lesson in, in 2008, right? Um, yes. Is that they've always said the, the famous line was, we're in the money business. We're not in the real estate business, but then they became owners of so much real estate that they're like, well, we better figure out how to be in the real estate business. Right. And so they probably all got, money. they have all these departments that never really disappeared because now they're liquidating their own real estate. Is that accurate? Right. Yeah, okay, cool. absolutely. Right. absolutely. Nothing has changed there. I know how I dealt with it. I just went and did something else. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped dealing with the banks. When those 90 day uh, deed restrictions came out, I was like, oh, you guys just killed the whole thing. Yeah, that was so. I was imbecilic on their 
part. I don't know why they ever did that. They just hurt them. They hurt the market. They hurt investors big time. And yeah. Yeah. And it was at a time. What was the, the irony was at the time when all the banks got bailed out. Yeah. So even if they sold them at a loss, they're not taking a loss. Right. Right. And then they stopped it from the real estate investor. So the, the trickle down economics stopped with them. Right. And so they, they double dipped on everything. And it was like, I don't know. That's when I started you getting know, do you know aware of how did? the world works. HUD didn't though. HUD to their credit. And I think it's because the the type of properties they had, mm-hmm. they got rid of that 90 day deed restriction, anti-flipping and everything. You were allowed to do it. I was doing back-to-back closings on HUD properties. I was probably doing 40 to 50 a year of just HUDs from 2009 to 2013. In 13, everything kind of changed. They went back to that 90 day thing and not anti-flipping, but what they would do is make you get a second appraisal. So the buyer pays for an appraisal, the seller pays for an appraisal. Mm -hmm. So they started that kind of nonsense, but it was still better what Fannie Mae was doing and Freddie Mac with the deed restriction stuff. Right. Super. All right. Well, that's cool. And there's a bunch of those types of sites out there, but you need cash to play that game. You do. Are you using hard money or are you you independently wealthy? (laughs) <laughs> I use some of my own money, use a lot uh-huh. of private money. Right. Um, occasionally use a company like Lending Home and Lending One, if it makes sense, the deal makes uh-huh. sense, especially for fix and flips, right? Because mm-hmm. I get rates from them for like seven and a half, seven and three quarters. So it's pretty darn good money right. there. Point, point what's, and a half, what's the so. rate that you're getting? Anywhere from seven and a half to seven and three quarters with them. Okay. Well, that's good then. They're very, very good that rates. That type Even of money, that's great. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But on, on stuff I'm trying to wholesale, I generally just use private money, short-term, and our own funds that we use. Got it. All right. And then your time for due diligence, like, is it just a, a traditional purchase agreement that they, they give you? For yes. Traditional period, time period? Traditional okay. time period. Yep. Great. Well, fantastic. Um, let me ask you about uh, two things. Um, sure. Having experienced the crash of 2008, um, and we're all kind of sitting around waiting for the next one. Mm-hmm. We're way overdue. Sure. Um, it, it's such a, a crazy uh, landscape to navigate at the moment. There's so much conflicting information. Some stuff points to a boom. Some, some point stuff points to a bust and we're like, which one do we pay attention to? Um, but what lessons did you learn back then that you're going to apply this time around? Um, I'm going to have some more cash sitting on the sideline. That's uh-huh. one. I definitely want to have more cash sitting on the sidelines and prepared for that. Uh, our motto has been stash the cash and save it for the crash. <laughs> the correct <laughs> question is when will that crash come? <laughs> right. We've all been kind of waiting for it for a while. Now we had that with, with COVID that kind of, we thought that was going to be the spur right yeah. now, but then you have people who um, are not sure what to do right there. They, they could be in forbearance right now and they haven't paid in six, seven, eight months. Yep. Um, and then, Come April, they're going to have to decide whether they're going to keep the property or sell. So you might see an increase then, but I think you'll start to see an increase of foreclosures in January, assuming they lift the moratorium mm-hmm. on these foreclosures. And then I think we'll have inventory trickling up. And then that, I don't know whether it be a crash or a correction. I, I really can't, can't even tell you right now. My guess yeah. would be later next year is when we'll see more of the crash when you have more businesses failing and more people losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. when I think we'll have a bit more. If they don't do another stimulus. Yeah. I, I'd have to think uh, the new administration is not going to let this thing crash on their watch after nah. four years of bashing Trump and the terrible job totally. he did. 
right? Like, quote unquote, terrible yeah. job he did, right? <laughs> like they, they can't perform worse than him, or else, boy, that's doomed for them on the next election. So, sure is. Yeah, I think they're gonna they keep it propped up as well. So I don't. Yeah, know they kind of have to, right? Yeah, they have to. I mean, they they made their bed. Now they got to lie in it. Yep. Or we have to lie in it. Or we have to lie. Is right. right. Cool. All right. So. Yeah, so that kind of you kind of answered both of my questions in, in one. I have no idea what's going to happen either. I mean, gosh, back in March and April, I was sounding alarms. Everybody, let's brush up on our creative financing. This is what yes. we're going to do right now because this is going to be fantastic. I can't wait. And then like it never happened. I know. I know. I was, I was I was in the same boat as you, feeling the exact same way. And I started selling things. Right, I was listing everything I could possibly list to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the price was going up and up and up. I'm like. Wow, I'm selling these things for I'm not, I'm making killer profits right now on yeah. these real estate deals. So we're still doing we're still doing some fix and flips, but God, it, it could turn at any point. You never know. There totally. could be something to trigger. Yeah. You know, who knows what's gonna happen tomorrow? We could have a war with China or a war with Iran, and that could change everything, right? Everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, back in uh in March, and and here's the other thing that really led me to it is well, I picked up a few deals right away in March just from like people yeah. panic selling. And they're just I did too. Smoking, I, smoking the banks people. were letting them go. Uh, huh? I, I think in March itself, I picked up twelve in okay. March. That yeah. was that was a lot of deals for for auctions right there, and I was barely bidding. I was just they mm-hmm. were accepting everything I won because they didn't know what was happening. Yep, Gosh. it was great, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I would have been a little bit more aggressive that month, but yeah. got it. It changed really quickly. It really quieted down, and um, so yeah, moving forward. So you're you're storing the cash, which. I know it's kind of like the, the thing we're supposed to do, um, but let's kind of transition a little bit. Storing uh, it in crypto and Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a, boy, it wasn't last weekend or was it two weekends ago? It was super exciting. Yeah, it was. Golly, it was a, I was like, is this thing ever going to stop? I, I like, know. I'm going to stop working today. <laughs> um, but it uh, came back down, but we're still way up for the, for the year, right? Big so it's time, doing yeah. well. I've been really paying attention though with the the amount of stimulus that we've had this year and likely more stimulus coming up very, very soon. Great. And I've looked at uh, what, what's this guy named Jerome? Powell. Powell. Jerome Powell. Yeah. You know, he's almost all but guaranteed inflation to go up. He has. Yeah. Right. Um, And then Ray Dalio just uh, had an article in uh, June or July on marketwatch.com. And he had a very big global view of the economy. But the one thing, like one of his closing statements was you going forward, you want to watch the the value or the return, the value of your money as much as you're watching the value of your investments and kind of taking Mm. what he had put there in conjunction with what Jerome Powell said, I was like, Maybe cash isn't the best place to have your money right now. It's not. It's sinking. The dollar is losing yeah. value and it dropped a bit more today, which is why you have the cryptos going up a bit more again today. Mm-hmm. It was what, two days ago, Bitcoin hits all time high. I anticipate yeah. it going. Like I thought when we hit that little jump up, like you said, a couple weeks ago, that we'd have a correction down around that 13,000 level. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. It dropped down to 16 and change and then shot right back up, which is telling me. That 16 might be the bottom right now, temporarily at least for it. Mm-hmm. And it could run up to 30 very early next year. It wouldn't surprise me yeah. one bit if it runs up 30. And then I think there will be a pullback if it does hit that 30 number, but I mean, we'll still be all in pretty good shape if it does do that. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Uh, do you listen to Mike Dillard at all? No. 
Mike Dillard's got a podcast and I've followed him around for a long, long time, but uh, he's more of a, a business entrepreneur coach type guy. Okay. And he has some really interesting guests. He asks really good questions, um, but he is huge in crypto and he thinks it's going to, the Bitcoin will be um, up to $200,000 within the next two years. Yeah. So I think it was JP Morgan or Citibank. A Citibank analyst has it at 318000 next December, not this December, one year from now. Oh and then all it was JP Morgan says they see upside of at least 13 times what it is right now. Yep. With one of their analysts that said, so that's telling you a lot. They see the dollar devaluing mm-hmm. and these things going up, right? I mean, it's a store of wealth. Instead of us buying gold and silver, yeah. now we can buy Bitcoin. Right. Some of these other well, gold ones. just last month had its worst month in what? Oh, since 2016, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Had its worst month in a long time. Yeah. I still think it's a good asset to be in though for people long-term, especially as the dollar drops down, mm-hmm. but it's not going to go up as much as Bitcoin will. Right. No, I think the the upside there is greater. Still a high level of risk though. So oh, huge. I've been very, I mean, I started off with just discretionary income, like money. I didn't care if I lost or not. Kind of like Vegas money. Yeah, did the same thing. That's what I called it. Vegas money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. And, uh, but it just keeps on growing. So I like, gosh, I'm now losing money by not putting in. So now I've got a little bit more in there to where I'm like, this would kind of hurt if we, if this tanked. Oh, yes. Yes. yes I agree with you. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat as you, but look, I keep buying more and I'm, I'm waiting, been waiting for a dip to buy a little bit more because I got money sitting in the sidelines, but mm-hmm. there may not be that dip. So I might just have to start dollar cost averaging again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm doing right now at very small increments, mm-hmm. um, but I'm doing that every week. But yes. I know nothing about it. I'm a complete moron. I'm, my whole strategy is FOMO. That that's my investing strategy. I'm not going <laughs> to miss out on this one. It's a lot of people, though. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. I know nothing, and you know, and anyone listening right now, like Matt, what are you doing? You're not you're not in real estate anymore. So no, no, I'm totally in real estate. Like I'm financially free from the cash flow for my real estate. Right. Um, and I've always promoted that, like free yourself first. Yes. And then take the excess. And then you can diversify that into some of your more traditional stuff, right? Totally. So that, that's kind of what I'm doing. So like the, the surplus is kind of going, I, I just bought some PayPal stuff. I bought some Square stuff because they're kind of affiliated with They're both into it. Now. Yeah. Yep. They're both doing the crypto thing. Um, I bought a few of the pharmaceuticals and not a great deal, but right. the, the dollar cost averaging is kind of fueling all that and it's kind of growing and everything's doing really well. But gosh, I mean, if that thing tanked, I would be like, that would, that'd be painful right now at this point. It would be. Yeah, we'd be, both be hurting. My portfolio would shrink by quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> so tell me about this though. Um, how long have you been in crypto and how, how much do you know? Like how much time do you spend educating yourself about it and how certain do you feel about the future? So 20, spring of 2017 is when I first started investing into it. I've been following- Bitcoin That was right at the, kind of the last peak, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right before. So that peak was like uh, no, October, November, December. So I was buying right before that. Okay. And then into that. Mm-hmm. And then it took forever for what I purchased during the end of that time to catch back up to where it is now. Right. Right. But no, so I spent, I spent I probably at least a thousand hours researching this stuff over those years, if not more. And I follow um, some people now. There's um, a few different guys that are just very, very good on online. And there's some of the guys I just don't follow because they're, they're more trying to sell their programs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Crypto viewing is one that I've, followed for years. They use some, what it's called remote viewing. They try to figure out what things are going. It's pretty interesting. Very interesting stuff they have. They have some pretty neat guys on there. They got a trader, um, a guy who trades Bitcoin now up in Canada, Marty Hibbs. 
he's been spot on the three months he's been with them at telling us what Bitcoin's going to do and some of these other ones up and down. He's been really good. So I'm following them. Um, Jay Snip is another one on YouTube. He's pretty good with it too. He does some goofy stuff too, but he's pretty good with the crypto stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like listen to, to a lot of the macro guys talk about it over the years. They've like how Robert Kiyosaki has now gotten really into it, right? but he wasn't into it before. Um, there's different guys like that that I follow and still listen because I want to listen to everybody. I want to get everybody's perspective. Yeah, I may like it, but I want to listen to people who don't like it. And I want, I want them to tell me why they don't like it. Mm-hmm. So then I could, all right, either reaffirm myself. Yeah, I'm right. Or I could be wrong. Or maybe I should you know, do this yeah. or that. So To play devil's advocate, what have you heard that causes you to pause about it a little bit and not go all in? So for me, I haven't really heard anything that to make me pause. Everybody keeps telling me. Well, what's it backed by? I'm like, I don't know. What's what's the U.S. dollar backed by? Our Very faith true. in it, right? That's yeah. what Bitcoin's backed by. Is yeah. I have a hell of a lot more faith in that. The fact there's only 21 million Bitcoin allowed to be mined, and five million have been permanently lost. So there's really 16 million compared to what the um, what we do, and just print, 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 and add more and more and more. You can't mm-hmm. do it. It's a set algorithm. So I like that aspect of it, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people do. A lot of people that are gold bugs, silver bugs too. Yep. really like that aspect of it and how easy it is to to do stuff. I mean, I can have everything on my phone, mm-hmm. on my wallet and my phone. So it's nice and simple. Yep. Yeah. Easy to spend, easy to acquire. And it's not super expensive to acquire as far as uh, there's an app I use called Uphold right now, which is a really good one, which doesn't charge you a commission when you're buying these. Oh, really? It's a, it's a good one. And I'm on, uh, right on that app, Uphold, uh-huh. it's a green app here. You can... um can also trade commodities as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. It gives you some real nice aspects to it. And it has a bunch of cryptos. It doesn't have all of them, but that does have a bunch of them. It has a bunch of them I like. like the, I, I do think the most undervalued crypto is probably Ethereum. And right. Ethereum is on a DeFi network, which is going to have the smart contracts. And there was just some news about it today, too, about the speed of it and what they've done to increase that. Mm-hmm. And I think they're calling it Ethereum 2. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I got to do more research on that. But I know um, Chainlink is a part of the DeFi network and Digibyte. Chainlink is right now about $13.95 and Digibyte's 2.3 cents. Love those. Love XRP, which is Ripple because that's going to be the merchant service one. Those are just some good basic ones for people to be in. Litecoin, Bitcoin. But I do think Ethereum, you know, Basically near that six hundred dollar level, I think next year we're looking at it. Wouldn't surprise me. It was at fifteen to twenty five hundred, three thousand, or even beyond. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's, it's exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting. You know, because I, I listened to, to, to Mike Diller, and he's just saying like this is like the opportunity for to just create a life changing event for yes. yourself and, right. and a legacy changing event. Right. But then he also says. Don't put more in there than you're willing to lose. Totally. Yeah. Right? So he's, he's, he's got that too. Um, but he says like, this is an opportunity to take 500 bucks and turn it in and add a couple zeros to it in a couple years. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that sounds exciting. Um, it's funny that number you just used there. Cause I used to take $500 from every single deal I did and put it into it. Every yeah. single deal I was doing 500 bucks I would put in. Um, so it is a good safe number to do. Yeah. I yeah. made 10,000 this deal. I'm only putting 500 bucks in. That's not a ton. Mm-hmm. So here are the two things that caused me to pause is uh, Mark Cuban is very uh, bearish on it. He thinks yep. it's a scam. And then the one that really uh, terrified me was when uh, Jordan Belfort 
came out. You know who he is, right? Yes. The yeah. Wolf of Wall Street guy. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I've seen this before. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, <laughs> that really hurt. And so that's really caused me to be very, very conservative. Otherwise, I might have a whole lot more money in it if it wasn't for Jordan Belfort. But um, yeah, there's always going to be. And you want those guys because there's those guys that say that about almost any asset class there is out there. Right. No mm-hmm. matter what it is, no matter what stock. There's people that would have said that about Amazon back in the 90s. Right. So yeah. I look at it like that. And this is a technology and, and, and one of the reasons I think more real estate guys are going to get into this is because the technology is going to be used for us in real estate. At some point, the counties are going to be recording mortgages on a blockchain and not recording them as they do right now, because now it's, it's going to be impossible for people to steal your deed and be able to, to um, refinance without you knowing it. So there's going to be all kinds of added levels of security. It's going to be used. I mean, it should be used in hospitals. I understand why it's not used by hospitals right now, because it could have all of our personal records in there. Doctor can put that in the blockchain. Another doctor can go look and pull that from the, the blockchain, assuming, assuming the other doctor gives him his code to look at it, right, mm-hmm. to be able to do that. So it's super secure from that perspective, or it's just the user, you yourself, going to the doctor, here, I'll pull up that information for you. I know what that code is. Right. And then they look at it and they can't do anything with it. So, I mean, to me, the security of it, it's a simple blockchain technology. It's nothing, it's not rocket science. It's pretty mm-hmm. simple, mm-hmm. but it's very effective. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of the future of it. Yeah. You know, our gas stations here in town, like there's, I could throw a rock and hit three of them that have Bitcoin ATMs in them. Now. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, that wouldn't be there if this, well, there wasn't something coming. Yes. Right. Right. And then uh, JP Morgan, as you had said. Uh, and they were trashing it before. JP they were Morgan trashing. Was. I know there was some of the biggest uh, naysayers about it. And now they're. They flipped 100%. Investment into it. Yeah. And I'd have to think also with the, the, the political display that we all got to witness to see, get a little bit more behind the curtain peak of how our government works. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think all of us lost a little bit of faith in the stability of our leaders. Oh, for sure. Regardless of which side of, I mean, any normal person, right? Yes. Anyone rational still has some logic left that, you know, we, I think we all lost a little bit of confidence on who's leading this country. And Get I think right. that's going to do a lot for Bitcoin as well, or just cryptocurrency. In general. Agreed. I think it will. Yeah. yeah. As you know, we keep printing, it's just going to keep going up. Banks are already putting a limit on how much cash you can withdraw. They're putting a limit on how much money you can wire. There's right. a serious ceiling on how much money you can wire overseas. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, right. and this defeats all of that. Like it makes all that go away and it's, it's our money. We should be able to use our money the way that we want to use it. So absolutely, I like that aspect to it, of it. I do too. And we can control it. You know, I mean, if I have it in my cold storage wallet where it's offline, nobody can get to it, but me. Mm-hmm. But if I have money, let's say I held it with Deutsche Bank, who now is holding cryptos for people. If I do there, they could technically seize it. So I wouldn't want to hold it in the bank, but I get that a lot of people like, our parents, our grandparents probably wouldn't feel comfortable with this technology and all the seed words you have to remember and all the different you know passwords and that kind of thing. So if it's held by a, a third party company, whether it's Vanguard or Fidelity is doing it, Fidelity is doing it for people right now. Mm-hmm. And there's other companies out there that do that as well. They want that security. Me, I want to control it. I want to control right. it right here. I know. All right. I'm right. sending Matt money right now. Here you go, Matt. And you get it. Boom, it's up in the air. In five seconds, you've got it. Yep. And there's no cost for media. No cost. Exactly. The best part. Any time of day. I love it. Yeah. Gosh, I always I thought that Venmo app was made for the crypto, right? That Venmo was yeah. 
preparing us for crypto because you're basically, I mean, it's through your bank account and everything, but all right, I forgot my wallet. Uh, you bought the pizza tonight, boom, here's 20 bucks for you. Right. And yeah. now everything's going to be set up on Venmo for the um, cryptocurrencies as PayPal's use. So it makes sense. It's a simple yeah. app too. Well, now you make me want to go out and buy more. Like I don't have enough money into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Gosh, I almost forgot we were recording a podcast. <laughs> Where are you located, Paul? So I'm located about 45 minutes north of Philadelphia. Okay. All right. Pennsylvania. Lots of news yeah. happening there in the last couple of months. Oh, totally. Yeah. You wouldn't believe the corruption here, Matt. 130% of the people in Philadelphia voted. How does that happen? 130%. Yeah, 130%. You got to love it. <laughs> That's like almost all of them. Yes. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> oh, it's so unbelievable. It's been going on for years. Philadelphia is just notoriously awful with it. Yeah. Yeah. Detroit, you know, all the same cities, Atlanta, Detroit, mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Same as it's always been. Interesting. Boy, there's a whole other conversation. We'll save that for another episode. That's another episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's another podcast. I mean, that's another subject altogether. And speaking of podcasts, you have your own. And if people yeah. wanted to learn more about you or listen in on what you do, um, where what's the name of the podcast? So the podcast is called Flipping Out. And if they want to see it online, it's thevirtualinvestor.co. Thevirtualinvestor.co. Yep. Got it. Yeah, you know what? Like, we didn't even get part to the to like your exit strategy and how you're operating in all these other markets. Let's, uh... Uh, yeah, you want me to jump in there real quick? That's pretty short conversation. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, go ahead. So, so, more or less, if it's a brand new market we're into, we're mm-hmm. we're pulling the cash buyers list and we're mailing the property to the cash buyers. That we also so you're doing uh, a direct mail. You're selling your properties in other markets via direct mail. That's fantastic. Correct. Direct mail, Craigslist, Zillow. Um, how many pieces of mail do you have to send out to sell one property in a brand new uh, market? Generally, generally you sell anywhere from 100 to 200 in, in, okay. in a general market. Yeah, 100, cool. 200 of this. It's not a ton. Right. And most of them we sell off, especially depending on where it is, Texas, most of them we sell Facebook Marketplace, which is bizarre. That's becoming right. a new hot spot in yeah, different like areas. Craigslist almost. Yeah, it's like it's a new Craigslist, right? Mm-hmm. So we sell a lot those ways. And if it's a property that doesn't need much or I can list it on the MLS and sell it pretty quickly, I just slap it right back on the MLS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a lot of that this year and doing extremely well with that. I think the whole tail. Whole tail yes. <laughs> I think this market is right for it right now is while inventory is so low on the retail level. Yes. Um, that retail consumer isn't looking for nearly as big of a discount as your investor buyer is. Not at all. I'm getting outbid on some of these auctions by retail buyers. I know they're retail buyers because of what they're paying for the property mm-hmm. and they don't mind putting a little bit of work into it. So if you do a little bit of a wholesale, boom, people are loving it. They're overpaying for it in almost any market right now. Yeah. Super. So direct mail, Facebook marketplace, or you just put it on the MLS yourself. Correct. Those are three basic ways of, of exiting. Yep. And always on Zillow. We always post on Zillow as well. Sure. sure. Uh, cause it just, cause it hits so many different sites. Totally. Totally. That was awesome, Paul. Came to a crashing halt. <laughs> I got I to run, but let's stay in touch. I enjoy this. Absolutely. I can talk to you all day long. I, I literally forgot that we were recording. Well, more conversations here, Matt. Yeah. It's like, maybe we <laughs> should talk more crypto offline. Let's talk more crypto offline. <laughs> Very good. Well, next time I'm in Philly, I'll certainly look you up and uh, maybe we'll cross paths at the next mastermind. That'd be great. Sounds great. Awesome. So if people want to learn more about you, we got the podcast anywhere else that they should go. REOAuctionAcademy.com. If they want to learn more about what we do, we do have students. We teach them how to do exactly what we do. Super. REOAuctionAcademy.com. Very good, Paul. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yep. See you soon. Take care. Yeah, yeah, we got the
flow. Huh. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.